Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is The Rumors Were True. Perez retires in Mexico. That title supplied by Ing Zero on Twitter. Hi, I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. Welcome to our Mexican Grand Prix race review, which was a little better than expected for a Mexican Grand Prix. The secret to life is low expectations, and I had none. So to come to a, a race here in the Mexican Grand Prix and have racing action, have a well-timed red flag that brought the pack together and just have some genuinely interesting things to talk about was a a massive bonus as we have this American sandwich in between the Brazilian Grand Prix and Cota. So we'll talk about Perez retiring very early, Hamilton provisionally uh, in P2, but you never know with these scrutinies. Let's let's hope we don't get interrupted mid-show again. We'll talk about that Norris charge from the back and more from a surprisingly good Mexican Grand Prix. But first, let me remind you that we're an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed from America land by Matt Durumpitz. Hey, Matt. Well, we gave everyone penalties last week, so maybe no one gets a penalty this week. Yeah, fingers crossed. The only investigation we've got hanging over our heads is whether Leclerc will get a penalty for having the the flappy wing thing. Uh, I was making more of a thing about the pit lane deal. Oh, you want to go into the pit lane shenanigans in qualifying? not necessarily, but like I I personally have some thoughts on that, yes. We'll definitely, we'll definitely get there. And joining us from England as the clock turns into the witching hour it's chris stevens hey chris hey spanners i can officially tell you that the leclerc flappy thing has been given and no penalty is it i'm glad he's got away with that not just for charles leclerc but you know think of poor Derek in the end plate bay who's been sitting there worrying whether he cost leclerc the the p3 and the podium and also whoever was supposed to be waving the meatball flag at him because Why would you give him a penalty after the race if you never gave him the flag? That would have been the one that saved him. And joining us from Canada, atop a moose, it's Christina Lee Mace. Hey, Christina. Hey, Spanners. Good to be here. It's a reasonable time for me. Aww. So I'm happy. I have my Red Bull. <laughs> I'm get... ready. Is it an actual Red Bull? Is that an allegiance? Yeah. Okay. It's the peach flavor. All right. I don't, I don't drink the regular flavor. That one tastes like you left a bunch of... Jolly Ranchers out in the sun for five hours. Not an advert. Let's get on to the race review. (laughs) 
All right. Unfortunately, we just have to rip this band-aid off and talk about what on earth happened at the start. Expectations were high, Christina, and the crowd was going wild for their local hero, just hoping for something, anything to grasp onto, and it lasted about zero seconds. It you could see it coming as well. Like the moment he started going on that charge, you could tell that he wasn't breaking soon enough, and. I jumped out of my seat and screamed a couple expletives as I saw it <laughs> happening. Pretty sure I scared my neighbors and definitely scared the cat. But it was just another thing where you're watching a driver have so little patience. Like, he had the whole race to get up to P2. He was in a car that, without any question, would have gotten up past those Ferraris if he had just been patient. But he wasn't. So Perez said in the interviews afterwards, that he was only thinking about winning the race during that incident. And what's that old motorsport adage that we always say before the start of each race? You you can't win on the first lap, but you can very easily lose it. And Perez just went the complete opposite direction with that and gun-hoed it into the first corner. (laughs) I mean, I've watched the onboards back a few times. Where he aims for... It looks like he's barely going to leave enough space for one car, let alone two. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, we literally always say you can't. And that's something we even talk about, like in karting and sim racing. You just you get through turn one. You can't win it in turn one. And he, he, as a very experienced Grand Prix driver, has come on the pin afterwards and gone, I was going to win it in turn one. But like he did he actually think that he had the pace this weekend to take it to take it to Verstappen, even if he'd have gotten past him somehow. Like, Did the data show him he had the race pace? I think he's banking on the fact uh, that it's very hard to pass at this track because of the altitude. So we'll, we'll, we'll probably explain this every single year we come here, but because of the altitude, the thin air, the cars overheat very easily, and that means you can't run that close together. And we saw this an awful lot in the race. People... As soon as they get anywhere near each other, they have to find the cool air, not stay in the slipstream, and it means there's actually very little wheel-to-wheel racing. By Mexico Grand Prix standards, this race actually had quite a lot of uh, wheel-to-wheel action. It did. But 90% of the time, you're looking at just... You you can't get close to the car in front. So normally, if you if you lead out of those first three corners, you're in a really good position for the race. Yeah. But they didn't get that far. So I guess we play an early game of... Because this could go either way. I don't know which way this game's going to go, but we can play Whose Fault Is It? Whose Fault Is It? Okay. (laughs) I tell you what, I... In our Missed Apex group chat, I just dropped in there just for a laugh. I did did say, well, what, what penalty do we think Leclerc will get for that? Is, is a race ban enough, is the question I put. And my crew, who've known me for a long time, all went absolutely nuts at me, calling me insane. So, Matt, you know, I'll make the case to you. You know, Leclerc just, just understeered into Perez and took out the home hero, I would say, on purpose. Uh, well, that was a very good effort. Right. I can give you an A for effort okay, there, good. Spanners. Yeah. But I'm afraid in terms of actual content, that's headed towards an F minus. Yeah, it's very hard to to argue that it was anything other than Perez's fault. But the interesting thing to talk about is why did he make that decision? Well, I. It was, I think, 
as human beings, we tend to get sucked into this. And I think especially as drivers, we tend to get sucked into this because you get to a certain point and you have to guess at what's happening in the future. Yeah. And he had he had good closing speed. He was ahead of he was obviously going to be able to pass Leclerc on breaking into that turn. And I think in his mind, he saw himself turning into that corner with a clerk fully cleared off his car. But that wasn't what reality had programmed for him. And instead, it was just it was just a massacre, if I'm being honest. So obviously, the star of qualifying was Daniel Ricciardo having outqualified uh, Sergio Perez despite being in the Alpha Tauri. And already there's a lot of talk about what Perez's future in the team is going to be. This was a very timely performance from Ricardo to say, hey, I'm back, by the way. And even though this was probably the closest that Perez has been to Verstappen in terms of the gap, it was less than a tenth and a half, the closest has been for quite a few races the fact that he's starting behind ricardo is just never a good look yeah so i think he's banked on the fact that he needs to win it or bin it basically unless he pulls his finger out and delivers some fantastic result then he's going to be out of of that seat at the end of uh this year so who knows maybe that decision hasn't been made maybe by today it has been because it, it, it looked like a desperation move to keep the seat okay I'll try to defend slightly the motivation map because he started in fifth place, as Chris said. He'd already gotten past you know, Ricardo. He was ahead of Leclerc marginally. It's very difficult to go, right, you are, you're, you're effectively second on track and you think that into turn two you're going to be fighting for first. But actually the correct thing you should now do is break more, move out wide, let cars rush down the inside of you we saw Hamilton, who's one of the best that's ever driven in the sport. Hamilton did the same thing on his teammate as well. So, you know, what what would you want him to do? Well, let's not forget, like, if we are going to make apologia for Perez, let us not forget how both wide and long this current generation of car is. And we've seen the most talented drivers in the world unable to tell if they've actually driven off the track or not. So I do have some sympathy. But again, I'll just get to the point. If you are there and you are Perez, I think the correct move at that point, rather than turning in, is simply doing what I saw at least two other drivers do. Just drive off the track, come out in front of everybody, right. and then give Max back P1. I mean, it worked for Hamilton. Problem done. It yeah, I mean, problem Hamilton. solved there. When did Hamilton do that? 2019, I think. And yeah. uh, it worked for him. I think it might have been, I think he might have done that a couple of times. Um, but yeah, so when he turned in, Chris, I think, like Matt said, he thought there was going to be a gap there. And I just, I wonder whether some of the older drivers think that that people will will dip out you know that they think that people will pull out of those kind of situations whereas the younger drivers are like no i just stay in my lane if you hit me you hit me oh 100 he would have expected leclerc to back out of, mm. of but they that. don't but why should he but they why don't would he? leclerc doesn't russell doesn't norris doesn't they don't do He's it anymore no right to perez is the one who made that three yeah. wide if yes. anything he should be the one backing out of it uh, leclerc's got no reason to yield the position at that point so 
I, I don't blame Leclerc for it. Oh no, no, at, no, at, at all. No, no, no. I'm not. Like, I'm not like, even, not even like one percent. No, no. I'm not even. I'm not even suggesting that he should back out. I'm just. I'm just wondering no. if there's been an evolution in terms of of where the drivers would back out. I think um, you know a lot of lot of drivers like from the olden days. It was always, oh yeah, Senna gives you the choice whether to crash or get out of the way, and that was seen as sexy and dynamic. Whereas now. You know, we, if you give a modern driver that choice, they go, OK, well, you're you're crashing into me. And it's correct. Yeah. If you occupy the space I'm in, I'm not jumping out of the way. I'm here. Yeah, I, but there there needs to be some sense of uh, fight or flight, really, doesn't there? Because that's what ends up costing you in, in, in championships in the, in the long run. And obviously what this ended up doing was putting Max Verstappen in the lead, which was the last thing Ferrari uh, wanted. And... Uh, I'm not going to speak on behalf of all the fans here, but I think a lot of us watching it, that was the last thing we wanted as well, because that was the race kind of done and settled at that point. Once Max got into the lead, because you can't give him an inch, otherwise he'll take a mile and, and and romp down the road uh, with it, which is exactly what he did. Well, I just, again, I get back to with this generation of cars, we saw it, we've seen it in three, three white incidents now. Even when the middle car is fully cognizant, they are in the sandwich and try to back out. It is almost impossible. You wind up catching a wheel either on the inside car or on the outside car. And if you want to give Perez credit, it was just bad luck for him that Leclerc chose to hit Perez instead of Max because it was going to be one of them the way that yeah, turn yeah, was going. Yeah, yeah, he had no choice, but he didn't take evasive action and yeah obviously look it's beyond doubt that it, that was Perez's fault but it's just it was so gutting for the for the event because it, it did leave the home crowd with nothing to cheer for and and it was a little unfair of them to boo Leclerc but if you're at home and you get all this access to the angles you know we, we must have watched it like four or five times we didn't even know there was a big hole in the side of Perez's car so I was still holding out hope that he would get out of the pit and they were doing such a robust job as well like the mechanics were picking you know, checking all the wishbones. There was people looking at stuff at the back and then someone noticed the the dirty, great, big Leclerc wing-shaped hole in the side and went, oh no, we've got to call it. And when you look at the replay, it's not even a small hole. It's like the size of like a five-year-old, the hole in the side. But I think everyone was so focused on like the suspension that I don't know if they didn't see it straight away because it took them quite a while to to call it. All right. Well, I think I think we are out of defence for Sergio Perez. So I think we can move on to the rest of the start. Uh, Christina, not exactly the most robust defence from the Ferrari duo at the start of the race. No, no, it was not. They kind of dropped like stones. I mean, you could tell that at the beginning they were trying to make sure that the two of them were going together through turn one. But that obviously very quickly fell apart when Incredibly. I mean, Leclerc's car was damaged just enough from that contact with Perez that it meant that he wouldn't be able to pull together as good of laps as they would have liked. They still did a decent job, but it was definitely very lackluster. It was passive. And and this is the thing. It's the, it's the start that disappointed me most, Chris. It really did feel like yeah. they just rolled out the red carpet. Right. So little, little defense here of the maneuvers <laughs> because... Uh, remember in 21 when Verstappen nailed both the Mercedes? Yeah, around the outside. Bottas moved to the middle of the track and gave Verstappen that nice clean braking line to swoop around the outside and nail both of them 
into the first corner, take the lead, right? If you give him the inside, he's just going to outbreak you and move on to the inside as well. So forcing him into the middle, maybe into a pinch point, <laughs> might be the way to go. And on the initial getaway, that's actually what they managed to do. The problem was that the actual starts for both Ferraris wasn't really that good. Max had a really good start and had already outdragged Sainz yeah. by the time they got into that little sort of kink in the straight uh, and found himself the inside line. So in terms of where they tried to position Max, I think they actually did all they could. The issue was the actual get away from the line. I hear you yelling at, at Botas, but to me, if I'm at a race start, and especially when you have like a flip-flop, like turn one, turn two, the one place I don't want to give up is is the is the full inside of the track. I want to make Max drive the longest line possible to pass me. And even if it doesn't work, the advantage of that is, yeah, you might have Max ahead of you, but you've not had a collision with Perez, who would have had to have backed off to get through that corner with Max ahead of him. I think when it just, yeah. When you've got 811 meters from the start line to turn one as well, it's incredibly hard to actually keep the third place car at bay unless you've got a straight line speed deficit like the Mercedes has got, for example. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. But especially given that, I would think keeping the attack, keeping the third place car driving the longest possible distance is in your own best interest. And that is the one thing that Ferrari didn't manage to do. Christina. The point I was going to bring up is what Chris just did was that it is a long straight. Yeah. And so it does seem like the strategy that Ferrari picked would have been much better suited to a shorter distance to turn one. The Red Bull is an absolute rocket ship when you get it downturn down a long straight. So the maneuver that they essentially tried to do would have been good if it was a short straight, but it wasn't. So they were basically just trying to play catch up with him what, about like a third of the way down already? Yeah. It just was something that was never going to work. And at the end of the day, I'm, I'm I'm, kind of wondering what else they even could have done to try and keep Max behind at that point. Okay, so here's my maths, right? If they don't leave space on the inside, but just, and then don't leave space behind them, but just, then from the inside of the track to the gap to Leclerc, to Sainz, then the gap, then Leclerc, that's nearly four cars width that they're covering. And they didn't cover that. So I, at least you could have created this little little barrier on the inside. And um, if you'd have held the inside, then, you know, let's say Leclerc had held the inside. He could have been the safe car on the inside and it could have been Verstappen hitting Perez. You could have taken out both Red Bulls in one fell swoop. But it just did look like a bit of capitulation. And by the time they got to the corner, not only had they let him down the middle, but they'd also given him the inside line. So they just basically gave him no work to do at all. And it, yeah, it was inevitable it was just a very disappointing start to the, to the to the Grand Prix because you think of all these connotations that could work out over the course of the race and then within one turn, you know, the home guy is out, the the dominant champion has has cruised his way literally from... Where, where did he start the Grand Prix? Third. So he's cruised third, from, yeah. you know, third to an, uh, an easy escape and victory. It was just a little bit uh, disappointing. But that doesn't mean that the rest of the race didn't unfold in an interesting way. And Christina started off there talking about the the, the general Ferrari defense of their uh, of their front row lockout. 
And it's a bit of an indictment on Ferrari's season that actually everyone was generally positive about Ferrari's race, even though they finished third and fourth from 1-2. Matthew. Yeah, well, okay. I will take this. This is the most interesting hinge of the race because Ferrari's strategy, and we heard them say this on the radio to signs, okay, well, everyone else is pitted. We said to Leclerc, how are we? Can we maintain this pace? Ferrari was plan A more than two laps into the race. So right off the bat, that's a victory for them, I think. But being a bit more serious about it, their strategy was simply to live in Max Verstappen's pit window on a one-stop and make him catch them and pass them on a track where it was actually kind of hard to do that without a real significant tire offset. He would have had it. But the safety car and subsequent red flag absolutely killed their strategy. I looked at the lap. It was lap 37. Leclerc had just switched to the hard tire. He was 16 seconds behind Max. So at that point, if Max had chosen to pit and put on his new tires, he would have had about an eight-second gap to cover back to Leclerc. But of course, he wouldn't have pitted then. He would have gone deeper. And we don't know, and this is the thing that kills me as someone who likes to go back and look at these things and guess, we don't know what Leclerc's pace was at that point on the hard tire because he literally had just come out of the pits and run one lap on them when we had the safety car. And by the time we started again, conditions were quite different. So we'll never know. But it could have been interesting in a different way had that been allowed to play out. Now, I'd love to have seen how that would have um, played out. So it was it was really bizarre because Max came in very early and nobody seemed like in a hurry to respond or cover him yeah. off or whatever. And then when uh, Lewis pitted, it was the same reaction from Ferrari. They were like, no, 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 you you do your thing. We We're confident in what we want to do. And we've seen Mercedes use this kind of strategy in the past as well, where when the undercut is so massive, as I think we, we were seeing mm. here, that if you just pit a lap later, well, you're only going to, you're going to lose out and then you're on evenly matched tires and it's going to be very hard to pass. So you mm. try and create as much of a tire offset as possible by extending that first stint and then coming back at them with better tires later uh, in the race. And Lewis has made that work in the past. Mm. Uh, I think it would have been quite a a bold move for Ferrari to try and do that because uh, we saw, I think, that Mercedes was ultimately faster than the Ferrari um, yeah. in in the race. Um, but uh, that was that was a lot of confidence from Ferrari. But equally, there was a lot of confidence on Mercedes' uh, side as well. They were saying, yeah. you know, just sit back, let the deck come to us, and oh, yes. the balance feels great, Bono. It's wonderful. You know, a lot of <laughs> yeah. lot of positivity coming out of that car. So th- in the first in anyway. So I think Matt's going to disagree with you about the relative paces of uh, Mercedes and Ferrari. But firstly, I just want to say I did have a, a deluded moment. Of, of Hamilton fan hope because all of that was going on and this is the classic Hamilton stalk and they said it out loud but that's what he used to do to Bottas all the time and to Vettel which was sit there and wait for the deg to come to them so he's confident he's managing the tyres and at some point you don't get the the same traction and Hamilton comes and, and swallows you up and in fact he had to do that against Ricardo. Ricardo was doing a good job uh, defending as well and Ricardo was able to hold him off 
for those first several laps, way longer than I thought. And they really had to wait for Ricardo's rears to go off before he could go and get them. And then obviously it's a little bit harder behind the Ferrari. So we've got this kind of a, a little bit of a positivity uh, that Chris was describing from the Mercedes crew. And then Verstappen goes, these tyres are done. And you go, oh, hang on a minute. This is like a trick. This is like the Lewis Hamilton. These tyres are done. But no, they actually pit him. And you go, for a moment, you go, Matt, is, could it be? Could it be that the tyre wear just isn't here for Verstappen and it is for Hamilton? But just a glimmer, just a glimmer. Yeah, well, and again, this is the one stop versus the two stop. Red Bull was committed to the two stop at that point, I believe. And I think it really just came down to the track temperatures. It was almost 48C at the start of the race. It was the hottest we've seen the track all weekend long. And it was definitely not helping Red Bull in terms of their tire management for it to be that hot. Not the only team to be caught out by that. But they were convinced Red Bull was. They had the pace with the two-stop to really just crush everyone. But they would have had to pass a lot of people. And every time you have to pass people, you increase the possibility that something might go wrong that you don't anticipate. It would have been fun to see. As for Mercedes, I don't think in the first stint necessarily they had the ultimate pace over Leclerc. Clearly they did over signs. But once the track temperature dropped, and especially with Ferrari restarting on the hard tire, the advantage entirely swung to Mercedes and Lewis, despite Lewis's own misgivings about that tire going so long. So also mm. hats off to the Mercedes engineering staff for absolutely nailing that car. Anyone on the medium tire did far better than than anyone on the okay. hard tire in that last stint. So that that's interesting, like, because did anyone have any faith in the, the Mercedes call when they, they came out on mediums? Because this is what we were saying before the red flag. You go, well, Mercedes should be in a good situation here, but they're going to do something weird, like picking a 2014 Hypersoft, a used Hypersoft. And then what do they do? They come out on a used medium. And my lack of faith, Chris, was disturbing. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. But, uh, <laughs> it, I mean, it really did seem like a long way to, to go. Bearing in mind that Verstappen only went 12 laps on those um, tires or whatever it was. It was but 17? Other, oh, 17, whatever it was. I, oh. I don't know. It was, it was less than 35, sure, which was how it many was less than 35. To, to, to go. But then, you know, other teams were going to, like, lap 25, Okay, then you throw in the fact that they're on half tanks fuel at that point. You know, it would have been a shot. I was fully expecting the hard tire to be better at the end of the race, though. Fully expecting it. And I was a little bit surprised to hear the Ferrari call that, oh, in five laps, those tires, they're going right. to be shot, mate. You're going to be in the pound seat. Okay. Uh, and those five laps never came, never came in the next 30 that we were running. And Lewis even kept enough okay. life in the tire to get the fastest lap right at the end um, of the race. And it wasn't just Lewis being really good with them. I think everyone on the medium tire still had really great pace at the end of the race. I think Piastri was probably the only car that was struggling and he's been known to not really be the best at looking after the tires. Yeah. So this is, I think what, what bothered me most about Ferrari was all the way through the race, they thought they were nailing it. They seemed very, very pleased with themselves. So all through the, the radio conversations, they were calm, plan A, you know, we, we've got this, we're all over it. 
don't worry, the your hards are fantastic and Hamiltons are about to turn to jelly. And they, they literally they just slept walked through the race. And I find myself cheering Ferrari on in a weird way because I just I want I want them to be good enough to be worthy of me hating them again. But it, it's just not <laughs> happening. But I, I, if they were frustrated all the way through, Chris, I could I could accept that more. But honestly, all the way through, they were like, we've got this. We are all over yeah. it. So we were talking about confidence earlier, slight overconfidence yeah. from Ferrari in the second uh, phase of that race. But, you know, we're talking about a race where Leclerc with Arthur's front wing missing still managed to completely outpace Carlos Sainz uh, and pull like an eight second gap or whatever it was before the red flag came yeah. out. So clearly things still not uh, no. 100% in that Ferrari camp. No, and they, they were so happy with going long again. And they basically, they, they volunteered a six-lap undercut to, to Hamilton. They volunteered it. They didn't have to give Hamilton a six-lap undercut. But Hamilton was just behind five seconds. And then it was something like 6.5 seconds by the time it had all shaken off. And, and they didn't have a massive tyre offset, nothing to make Mercedes even slightly worried. But when you talk about a track where everyone was predicting the undercut would be king, and then you just volunteer a six-lap lap overcut. Anyway, absolute madness from... Uh, Ferrari. Let's um let's get away from Ferrari and onto onto happier things. Uh, let's jump to something uh, super positive. Daniel Ricciardo, Christina. Uh, that has to be you know one of the the biggest smiles we've seen in the paddock for a long while, all weekend really. It's been a delight to see, especially when we went through the last two years with him at McLaren, and we already knew he was feeling better when we were seeing him doing all the press for Red Bull, but getting to see him actually drive and actually put what he's capable of doing back out there, it brings you a very specific type of joy. Like, you didn't want his last year in Formula One to end with McLaren, to end on that low, and that was kind of the biggest thing, is that... Whenever he retires, the hope is that, you know, you end on a high, whatever that may be. And to see him just come back and have that energy and that joy, it's everything. And not to mention the fact that it's also just nice to see the Alpha Tauri being competitive. Like, I still go back to it being 2021 when Gasly was consistently putting that car up in fifth in qualifying. Yeah. So they had a good car. And then the new regulations came in and they were kind of just fumbling the bag these last two two years. And that's just so disappointing, especially mm. when they're affiliated with Red Bull. So it's glad to see, it's good to see Ricardo doing well, but it's also glad to see that they actually are working on that car and are making positive changes to it. Because yeah. it's just disappointing to see a car on the grid that could be doing well because they have the resources to and it being complete and other poop. It's oh, okay. You went you went right there with the P word. Okay, but it it the theory is that this is a bit of a a spike. So I mean, they were talking about having very uh, Mexico specific upgrades, relying on mechanical grip. And the quote from their race director was that the Honda engine Hondas very well in high altitude, whereas the other engines don't Honda as well as their Honda. They literally kept saying Honda over and over again. I don't know if they had the, the press briefing. But um, yeah, so an advantage from the Honda, an advantage from the layout and a reliance on mechanical grip, perhaps. Christopher. Well, well, that Honda or Red Bull, Honda. Trains, whatever you want to call it. They um, called it a Honda. Has 
it has traditionally been good at the high altitude circuits you know the sao paulo austria mexico as well they that even when they weren't you know regularly fighting for race wins they would always turn up at these races but i I will say that when daniel ricardo broke his hand in zambort i thought he was done i thought we're never i thought we're never gonna see ricardo in an f1 car again or if if he comes back for a couple of races that'll be it he just like because after what happened at mclaren and then he didn't have a great return in the Alpha Tauri, and then literally second race, you know, smashed his hand to pieces. And I just thought, he's done. We won't see him again. I will absolutely rescind that now because Daniel Ricciardo is at 100% back. Uh, it, it, like the old flame was 100% there, not just in his, his, his speed, but in his absolute daring will-to-will racecraft as well that we saw on display on many occasions in, in that race as well. It was really good stuff and it's it's interesting when 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 the pace and these started coming mm. up in qualifying you looked at oh well he was getting the toe from sonoda who was being a bit of a guinea pig because he was starting at the back anyway um and so you think, oh he was just getting the toe but then even when he got to q3 and sonoda wasn't there he's still blindingly fast and one off if not the fastest cars in the uh the final sector as well so genuine pace matt tell him why he got carried away no no there was <laughs> genuine pace there but you know, it's a it's a one off, one off. Surely, Matt, bring bring some cold water on this. Uh, okay, so I, I hate to crush everyone's joy <laughs> with cold, boring facts and numbers. But first of all, my favorite thing about all of this weekend was discovering that Ricardo can't actually turn the wheel without lifting his pinky a little bit. Oh no! You know, like when people drink the <laughs> yeah, fancy yeah, yeah. glasses. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent true. And yeah, I think for him personally. This was an incredibly important milestone. And, and I, w- I will be the first to admit, I look down at the grid, at the red flag, and I'm like, wait a minute. Why is Ricardo still all the way up the grid there? The car had genuine pace. Yeah. But the car has genuine pace because, number one, the Honda power unit. And yeah, I know. Okay, sorry. Excuse me. The Red Bull powertrain power unit maintained, developed, and installed by Honda, who no longer shares intellectual property with Red Bull, but whatever. The Red Bull powertrain has always been exceptionally good in Mexico. And on top of that, we know that, uh, for whatever reason, they have figured out how to set the car up so that it is very, very difficult to pass and very very good at passing other cars down the straight and i think energy mapping comes into this recharge comes into this a lot of stuff comes into this but if you watch ricardo and his fights when he was being chased down coming out of the last turn out of peril tolda you could see the amount of distance he gained onto the opening of that straight Mm. made it virtually impossible even for you know like someone in a mercedes powered car like uh, to to get around him well you say so, e- even yeah. in a mercedes powered car I mean, yeah look, look at the teams that were struggling with cooling and it was uh mclaren all of them well no but particularly struggling with cooling was mclaren and mercedes they were the ones yeah. you were seeing like getting out of the the getting out of the slipstream and out of the dirty air the most and that's the the radio calls you heard but I don't think that's a surprise because we've seen it over the years. As soon as cooling is an issue, Mercedes seem to struggle. So there's something where they... Is that not right, Chris? Well, I will say Ferrari really struggled with it as well because that's why 
they couldn't get anywhere near Lewis at the end of the race, even if they supposedly had better tires. They couldn't get anywhere near him. It was the tires. Well, well yeah, of course, but uh, <laughs> but no, I, I I agree with you about the McLaren. But then it was mostly Norris talking about it, and he was well in the pack. And yeah. obviously Lewis was mostly doing it when he was trying to pass quite mm-hmm. a few cars, both the uh, the Ferraris and um, and Ricardo as well. So I think it is just a case of whenever you get close to someone at this track, the car just overheats because the air coming off the car in front is is already been worked, so it's hot. Mm. Okay, well, the, a bit of a, a spike there for uh, for Alpha Tauri and for Daniel Ricciardo, but I think it is gone, Chris. Well, obviously, so obviously Sao Paulo's next track, right? Another high altitude one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so oh, we'll, right, we'll, yeah. and and quite a few slow corners there as well. So we'll see, we'll see what happens, and then through Vegas and Abu Dhabi, if that actually sticks true because they're both at sort of sea level aren't they because uh matt you'll know this where's where's las vegas in relation to the the sea Ooh, um i, I do believe it is a bit above sea level but i don't think it's anywhere near as high yeah. as, as brazil but uh, you know we're talking about alpha towery and we should mention that daniel ricardo's performance today single-handedly vaulted them past haas and had a certain other driver not slightly lost their cool, <laughs> they would have passed Alfa Romeo as well. Wait, wait a minute. Slightly lost their cool or got taken out? Whose fault is it? So, Alfa Tauri's Yuki Tsunoda came up against Piastri and it wasn't their, their first clash earlier in the, in the race. So I think the lap before even, they'd raced through turns one and turn two but they finally came together at the end of turn one uh, so we are going to ask uh, mr squiggles whose fault is it is that your cat's name christina squeaks mcgee oh, squeaks, is his name. Why, did I, why did i go to mr squiggles uh in fact do you know what we'll go for the human opinion first christina whose whose fault was it it's Definitely more so Yuki's. He went into a line that was just a bit too much on the inside. And again, he made the mistake that we saw Hamilton do, that we saw Perez do. And the reason why I'm going to be a little bit harsh on Yuki is that he has made a point to say, I watch old videos of these other drivers, specifically Alonso. So you know that he at least has the foresight to look at other mistakes that other people are making in an effort to not make them and also to study other people's racecraft. And that is an excellent skill. But then to go and to make this mistake, it's also quite egregious. Like he just did, he did the exact same thing. He went a little bit too much on the inner line. And yes, Piastri, he went a little bit wider than I think I would have expected looking at the turn as they first started. But if we're talking the game of centimeters, which we are, Yuki took two, Piastri took one, and they collided. So Yuki did exactly what Perez did at the start, but worse, because Yuki turned in about half a kilometer too early into the corner and <laughs> went into the side of Piastri's car. I got no idea what he was thinking. And this is another driver that's under pressure as yeah, well, because yeah. there are four Red Bull seats, but there is a fifth driver in contention. The fact that Liam Lawson is not already confirmed in that seat for next year, it grates me. And I think that... There are more performances from Lawson coming through in Super Formula that are making Red Bull raise an eyebrow. I think mm, he didn't even which, win Super Formula, only because uh, he got un- unlucky with somebody. <laughs> somebody decided to 
pole vault over the uh, over the barriers you, at one thirty R. If you know the Suzuka layout, okay, so he there, there was a, a bit of a horror crash at one thirty R near the end of the lap, and one car ended up at Degna two. Which is in sector one, I think, at the end yeah, of sector because one. Because it's a figure of eight track. Yeah. Oh, gosh, it, yeah. So that launched no, but, over. But l- yeah. Luckily, everyone was uh, okay. Oh, well, there was, there, I think the, the only uh, injury was a concussion. Um, yeah. Thankfully, which is an absolute miracle. There's such a, uh, a guilt as a motorsport fan because some of the most spectacular things we'll, we'll ever see are the crashes. So you kind of go, ooh, and then you have to quickly wait. And then as soon as you know everyone's okay, you can go, wow, that was an amazing yeah. crash. That was so cool. But there's that moment of like, ooh, like Magnussen uh, spinning out into that barrier, uh, a cloud of, of shrapnel. And in fact, sometimes, though, when you see that cloud of shrapnel, you should really see it as a good sign because it means there's there's been lots of impacts that weren't going into the driver every bit that falls off is some energy that was being transferred you know breaking that part rather than going into a driver Uh, but then you see like fire and smoke steaming out of it and there is still that 80s f1 fan part of me that just goes oh my goodness i need to see that guy get out of the car but i tell you what we're diverting a little bit matt but even when magnuson got out he looked a bit shaken that was a proper hit well, yeah. I mean, there's nothing better than you know, turning your car to the right and then having the yeah. rear wheel decide you should go the opposite direction into a wall immediately. And uh, yeah, that was a, it was a, for those who didn't see it, it was definitely a rear suspension failure. The left rear toe link looked like it just decided it had had enough of today's race and was going to go home without the rest of the car. And uh, not only did it require the replacing of the tech pro, but the, like, it was, like the car itself caught on fire. You couldn't imagine a better visual metaphor for Ha's entire season <laughs> mm. <laughs> than that car after Magnuson got out of it. Which, yes, we're all grateful that you know modern technology has made these crashes so survivable with so little injury. But um, yeah, we should never forget there is that element of danger is kind of always there. And and again, slight little detour, but you know, we talked about AlphaTauri. They're jumping up in the constructors just from this one race. Had Sonoda been there, it would have been more. I know. Hulkenberg was defending for his life for a single point against the Alpines, and of course, Haas has now come away with nothing in this race um, as well. And these are really important battles. These are like mm. every point really does uh, matter because it's going to be tens of millions in prize money at the end of the season. So frustration is kind of the has been a, a theme running through the drivers who are are under pressure. So you look down the grid and there's only really a couple of teams where there's there's drivers on equal footing at the moment. Well, at the moment, temporarily, Aston Martin seem to have two equal drivers. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely get to that. And mm-hmm. and Ferrari have 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 two fairly equally matched drivers at the moment everywhere else there's massive pressure and we're seeing the drivers under pressure making these kind of mistakes and if you if you roll a lap back with the Sonoda Piastri thing they go into turn one uh, Sonoda has to kind of take take to the outside and just about stays on but really kind of leaves his foot in and makes a little bit of a desperate jab there and they lock wheels and he was lucky to, to get away with with that one chris and then the frustration i think bubbled over and like you say yeah it's a good comparison he did pretty much what perez did but from much further back and yeah. much earlier so it was a much worse version of the perez move and hoping that piastri was going to disappear from that was just uh, wrong the the fact that sonoda kind of had, had had the floor wiped with him by by lawson 
a complete novice yeah was bad enough but now ricardo's coming back to form as well and okay using this race as an example is bad because uh Sonoda's weekend didn't even get going he was starting at the back of the grid before he'd even turned a wheel um in the car on on friday uh, so we'll see what the pace is like in in sao paulo but he's under big pressure and um it he, he needs to turn things around because for me this has been a very lackluster season for Sonoda. I disagree. Of course you do. And not just because it's you, Chris. I know. I disagree. This to me has been a season where I've seen Sonoda show me everything. Speed, racecraft. But the missing ingredient is exactly the same thing that I have long criticize Leclerc for it's the mentality of understanding I started at the back and I'm like what p7 p8 yeah he cashed in if I if I finish yeah, here yeah. my team is beating Alfa Romeo and honestly like I, I get it he had several bangy wheelie moments with Piastri not all of which were entirely on him I think the car had pace over Piastri. His tires were going. But having gotten the run on him, he was like, just mentally, he was like, okay, I've gotten past him more or less. I'm at the turn. When, as you say, like if, if he had completed that turn, if we had just erased Piastri from the track and he tried to turn there, he would have missed the turn with all four wheels off on the inside of the turn, if that <laughs> yeah, was maybe. even a possible yeah. thing. And, and, and this is, it, it's just that little, that tiny bit. He's so close. I see the talent. It's there. <laughs> I hate that people are giving him so much grief now. Canada. I completely agree. Like Yuki has been having a year where you can see his mentality shifted. Pierre is gone. He can no longer depend on like the big brother dynamic that he had with him. He has <laughs> yeah. to stand on his own two feet. And he has been, he's been taking a little bit more charge and he's been just displaying a lot of really good traits, which again, is why this weekend was extremely disappointing, why that moment was extremely disappointing, because you could see all of this progress and then he goes and makes this mistake out of all things. Like it's, it's one of the really big disappointing things of the like three steps forward, two steps back kind of a thing. So I completely forgot that this had happened, but. Uh, clearly, in the uh, Sonoda incident, the uh, the camera team remembered not to show the wide shot of them going through the uh, through the grass, where where they disappear behind the digital advertising, because that's what happened to Leclerc on uh, the first lap. You know, he just he that disappears behind yes. behind this red banner. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> then he didn't do it for the second one. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is brought to you by Factor. 
Healthy eating made easy. Hi guys, Spanners here. I'm delighted to talk to you about our partner, Factor. So if you want healthy, chef-prepared, never-frozen, always-fresh meals with a 50% discount, stay tuned for a moment. I don't want to come across as lazy, but when I get in a work tunnel and my stomach says we're hungry, I generally need to sort that out immediately. My stomach is not a patient entity. It sends me round the corner for a hot dog. And yes, hot dogs are the greatest mustard delivery system on the planet, but it's not the calorie smart choice. Factor gives me calorie smart choices, protein plus choices, and even keto choices. And there's enough variety with 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get to your goals. It's got things like pancakes, it's got smoothies, midday bites, everything you need. No prep. That's the key one for me. No prep. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat. No prepping, cooking or cleanup needed. No mess means less to go wrong and it means I don't have to ask, whose fault is it? When certain people get upset at the state of the kitchen. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, good food with no cooking required. So, you want that 50% off? Now, when I say 50, it's the numbers 5-0. So head to factormeals.com slash apex50 and use code apex50 to get 50% off. That's code apex50 at factormeals.com slash apex50 to get 50% off. Oh, there was actually, there was a couple of really good helicopter shots on the broadcast and it was, it was Bottas overtaking someone and they just had this helicopter shot and it was, oh, it, was like, it was, it was like a movie. They were, oh, I thought it was Ocon, but yeah, okay. So one of, yeah. So it was Gasly. Oh, one of them. Yeah. One of the uh, Alpines, but it, yeah, it was following them in a cinematic way and the helicopter was just focusing on them so perfectly and you could follow the battles through the corner and it came to the culmination of that. And then they went to the onboard of the lead car. And then so you go, why the lead car? At least go to Bot- Bottas's uh, onboard. Um, but yeah, there was some really interesting things they were trying to do with that helicopter. But the most interesting thing they managed to do was to avoid avoid the fireworks completely. Um, uh, I don't know if we... One last thing on Yuki Tsunoda. With the team orders during qualifying, they said... Someone interviewed him and said, it was such a good team thing of you to do to give the slipstream to Daniel Ricciardo. And his answer to the interviewer was, I was, I was forced to. Not, I was asked to. Not, oh yeah, it was a team order. I said, I was forced to. It was like, I really want to make clear that it was against my will and I didn't want to do that. And you go, you could have just won such big points there. All right. We've got a couple of uh, uh, think, topics I want to get to. So um, Lando Norris and Russell. Where should we start? Should we start happy? Or, or sadder. Let's start. Let's start Lando. Lando Norris. All right, let's talk Lando Norris. Lando Norris, driver of the day or not? Let's have a, a show of hands. Who thought Lando Norris had a spectacular weekend? And I've got Chris with a hand up. Wait, Who? wait. You've asked two different questions there. Oh. Because he's driver of the day. <laughs> Ooh, but here we of go. The- of the weekend that's a different story would you judge me if i said i did that completely on purpose yes of course i would but i judge you for everything all right then let's start with uh the positive okay then chris stevens make the case for lando norris being the star of the entire weekend okay right he's not the star of the entire weekend (laughs) he's definitely the star of the day 
I will fully admit, right, the team didn't put him in the best scenario in Q1 with that aborted first run on the medium tyres, which I think was a bit ambitious anyway. But he had his one shot to get out of Q1, and he balked it, right? Fair enough. So he's got a lot of work to do. But as soon as the lights went out, he was incredible. He was able to make up those places, even though he had to pit way early because he was starting on the the soft tyres. He had incredible pace once he was in clean air. And that did most of the work for him up until the red flag. Then he gets a bit unlucky again with a bit of a less than perfect start. And I don't think you can begrudge him too much getting pincered and having to back out the throttle, which kind of snowballed throughout the the rest of that first lap on on the restart. So where he has to do all the work uh, again. So, so far, you're pointing out an awful lot of things he didn't get right for no, one reason hang on, or another. Hang on. Ha- no, hang on. Well, hang okay, on. Well, we're all hanging on. Because, first of all, I say he had the excellent pace in clean air. But the second half of the race after the restart was where he really earned his bucks. Because there were no pit stops. He couldn't just find free air and make up that pace and the, the positions in the pit stop phase. He had to pass every single car the old-fashioned way. And on a track where we've already talked about, it's very difficult to pass. He went from 14th to 5th and also pulled off two absolutely stunning, beautiful, just chef kiss manoeuvres right towards the end. Oh, of wait, that hang race. on. Wait, the the think... one where he slammed into the side of Ricardo. That one. Is that one of your slam into the side in. of Ricardo? I bet they barely even felt that. <laughs> uh, Christina, <laughs> come on. You've got to have a counter to this lunacy. Not really. Did he make mistakes? Yes, but at least he fixed them himself. Yes, he could have had a better weekend if he had a better restart. Obviously, that would have been ideal. Yes, he could have had a better starting position right from the beginning if his Q1 strategy squeaks, don't attack the couch. Okay, that feels like a you issue. That's Um, a domestic issue going on in... Catherine. (laughs) Okay. Naughty kitty. But, sorry... Long story short, he at least went and he did the thing. He fixed his own mistake, which is huge. And with Norris, he's been one of those drivers that you look at and you can tell he has all this talent, but he somehow has still felt undercooked. He has been in F1 for, what, five years at this point? He just clocked in his 100th race, and yet it still feels like he has work to do and progress to make before he's going to be the ultimate version of Lando Norris. And it feels like this weekend was seeing part of where that could go very clearly that second half of the race where he was just like possessed by i don't know what but he and the car became one and they just blitzed through the field yeah and it was amazing to see like that shift in who he was driving as was magical so yes he made mistakes at least he cleaned up his own mess and hopefully that little spark is here to stay because yeah. I'm all for it. Cleaned up his own mess, unlike Squeaks McGee. Am I right? My goodness. Yeah, yeah he yeah. does nothing. This late at night, you know, we can we can excuse some cat yelling and some cat <laughs> wrangling. I liked it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, cleaned up his own mess and made some great overtakes. That is the recipe, the classic recipe for driver of the day. That driver is driver of the, of the day fodder, isn't it? And it's much more exciting to watch the driver you like do an amazing comeback charge and so i won't deny that was fun i won't deny that overtakes were impressive uh, I, I won't deny that it was exciting to see him you know uh, mug mug ricardo off with that 
malicious and brutal contact. But he was fighting bums for most of the race compared to where he's at. Chris, it's a fair analogy. I hate the fact that you use that word, though. It makes it sound like they just <laughs> no. pulled someone off the M25 so, to drive a Formula One car. They're great drivers. No, no, I know they are. I know they are. But it's a boxing. It's a bold boxing term, isn't it? It's like, well, you're not fighting the contenders. You're fighting lower ranked uh, uh, boxers to make yourself look good and that's what he that's why he looked good today he was pulling overtakes on Aston Martins and Alpines when he no. should have been overtaking Ferraris he was pulling them on super fast Alfa Tauris and Mercedes and I know that had everything gone according to plan in qualifying he would have been fighting for the podium today such was his pace but ultimately when you look at it he's absolutely spanked Piastri in that race coming from where he did mm. To not only pass him, but then also keep going further up the order as well. He's shown that as amazing as Piastri is, we know it. Oscar's still got a lot to learn. I'm being shown up here okay. by the cat. Okay, yeah. Everyone, ignore the cat and focus on the Grand Prix. So, yeah, I shouldn't have called, called uh, two-thirds of the grid bums. But what I meant was that that wasn't his real fight, Matt. That wasn't real. his real fight. No. It's, it's hard to get away from just this one sentence, which is this weekend... Lando Norris could have had a podium and he didn't have one. Uh, yeah. So uh, I find the error in qualifying most forgivable because he had the least margin for error. And as we all know, Alonso intentionally spun to kill Q1 anyway. Uh, that may allegedly... be an assertion that is not legally provable. Well, no, to well since you've spoken about it, look at all the... All the dodgy spins that we all kind of agree were probably deliberate. So look at the the Singapore 2008 and you yeah. see that he's on the throttle before the apex and gets that back end out before that. Uh, Perez in Monaco, there's a bit of suspicion around Rosberg that. Rosberg in Monaco. Uh, well, Rosberg in Monaco was the old pretending to lock up. Technically not a spin, but yeah, yeah, he was, That was pretending to, to lock up and doing the whole dance with yeah. the steering wheel. Uh, but th this was... You know, definitely getting on the power like way too early. He's way too experienced for a crash like that. And it was just, and it was at exactly the perfect time when he was kind of out of position because of when he'd done his run. And look, suddenly no one else can do a lap and he's qualified. Like that's, you could forgive people for saying that's properly dodgy. However, Matt, it's an unfounded claim and how I distance myself from your again my yeah. lawyers tell me it is only an assertion and it is not provable so we okay. move on from that i i understand it they put him under a lot of pressure and just sometimes in qualifying you know the circumstances don't work out for you but in terms of the race the soft hire was not a gambit that worked not his fault he works his way up he works his way up so well that actually uh, mercedes is forced to pit russell to protect him from the under the massive undercut that Norris did get by pitting early, much to Russell's irritation because he didn't understand, I think, that Norris had already pitted and didn't need to pit again. But then we get to the restart, and he has a terrible restart. Maybe not his fault, maybe his fault, but he essentially has to do that same work all over again. And you look at the pace of his car, you look at who he was able to pass, how quickly he was able to pass them and where he was able to pass them. And I'm with you. I'm like, I don't know. I would have, Norris should have been like arguing with Hamilton yeah, about P2 or maybe seeing how close to Red Bull that 
McLaren could actually be. Because if I learned anything this weekend, is that the McLaren is not a joke as a car. It is competitive everywhere. It is not so circuit-specific as certain other cars. And if I learned anything else, it's that Piastri is starting yeah. to fade. Yeah. This was... In my eyes, because he is not getting any better at managing these tires. And if he doesn't figure that out, as talented as he is every other way, he's going to be kind of useless as a Formula One driver. I got overexcited about Piastri's uh, brief spike. And it was a sort of brief spike because he's obviously got, whoa, the, whoa, 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 whoa. He's got the pace in qualifying, obviously. But yeah. he has not been arguing. He has been flattered when there has been low tyre wear. As soon as tyre management's an issue, today he started, what, P6? And he yep. ended up getting team orders to let his teammate by who started in, like, P30. So that's going to be a hard one to defend, Chris. No, no, I agree that this was not his best race. But this is also quite an exceptionally difficult race because, again, we're going to go back to this thin air thing. Cars mm. got no downforce, slides around all over the place. Okay. Ground effect cars, in what is 90% low-speed corners as well. Car feels terrible, you know. And it's his first time racing here as well, as it is for quite a few of the circuits just give him a, a bit of time to try and get on top of these tires because i think he will do eventually oh, know. we know that piastri is one of the most adaptable drivers out there because you can't just jump into a brand new series and win the title three times in a row without being good at adapting your driving style so he will figure this out christina Completely agree. I mean, the, oh. the big thing is Piastri has been, oh, but Piastri has been an exceptional rookie. He's been an exceptional rookie. There's no question about that, but he is still a rookie, which means there are still <laughs> things he has to learn. And yeah. so if, I'm sorry, but if his one bad race is him finishing in, uh, what is it, like seventh, eighth? Yeah. If that's considered a bad result for a rookie, that is still pretty dang oh, good. And know. if you only have one thing on your list that he like significantly needs to work on, and that's tire management, I think that that is acceptable mm. for a rookie. That is something that all of the drivers have had to figure out. That is the biggest jump, in my opinion, between F2 and F1. They go from having, what, two tire compounds that they're worrying about, plus the wets, and then all the way up to having six, technically, although we've only seen five. It is a big jump. It is something that they're going to have to take time to learn, to figure out. And that's what he's doing. He's learning and figuring it out in his rookie year. Uh, well, we're 19 races in. I I do feel, Matt, that this is this is Gen, Gen X versus uh, millennials here because they've been yeah. super positive about everything with their yeah. avocados, <laughs> eating their avocado toast late at night. And we're just, I hate toast. avocados. And we're just being... Uh, oh, they're so good. Uh, I just... Uh, mushy. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're gonna yeah, yeah. Look, we're, I think we're gonna be on the same page here, Matt. Yeah, yeah, nineteen in, and it's actually not looking as rosy. It's as not it, gotten it? any better. The thing for me is that I don't see the tire management improvement from him. And I know everyone's gonna go sigh, Piastri. He's so calm on the radio. Look at how well he doesn't qualify. He is funny, but none of that matters. Mm. What matters is where did where did you finish in the race? How many points did you bring mm. and how were you able to help the team? Now, I think McLaren is going to be perfectly happy to keep him around because he clearly has the mental new, whatever you want to call it, to finish well when he's in a well-finishing position. 
but he's going to need to show them that he's improving on his ability to manage the tires. Because when your teammate who started in 19th or mm. whatever, and then on the Who's restart in starts in 14th, catches you in eighth or whatever he was, and you're told, okay, we need you to find a half a second a lap, or yeah. we're going to ask you to let him by. And your response to that is to lock up. Oh, yeah. That okay. was I, admittedly, that's probably an audio thing. It didn't actually happen like that. But still, his, ba- uh, you know, Piastri's response was basically like, yeah, okay, no way. Mm. See you, Norris. Yeah. And this is the same kind of thing we saw happen with Ricardo and Norris. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I just, I, yeah. I, gotta, I just got a master driving this weird car. And then... And then it, it just pretty much okay. messed Ricardo up as a driver. And uh, Australia has entered the live chat. Hello, live yeah. Patreon <laughs> chat, by the way. Thank you so much for, for supporting us. Uh, the only reason that we can afford, literally to afford, to be here at <laughs> two in the morning is because you guys support us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. But P.S. Uh, Steve, our video editor, has just gone, Piastri is way better than Ocon, Matt, and it's all in block capitals. So before we anger <laughs> Australia too much... Not entire management. I just hate yeah. to say it, but it is kind of true. So uh, let, let's, uh, put, let's put it this way, and I think Christina wants a, a final defence of Piastri, but I would say you can exactly predict how well Piastri is going to do in comparison to, Nor- uh, to Norris based on tyre wear. So if you can figure out if this is a high wear track, then you can say that gap is going to go out. If it's going to be a low wear track, that gap is going to shorten. And it's not it's not just tyre management, is it, Christina? Because isn't that's like one of the most important, that's like the defining factor at the moment as to whether you're better than your teammate or not. Oh, 100%. Like he does need to learn tyre management. There's quickly, no question about quickly. that. And there's no question as well that Norris for a long time, is going to be outperforming Piastri regularly. He should. He has five years in F1 under his belt. It would be horrendously embarrassing if Piastri was outperforming Norris. But at the end of the day, it all just comes back to Piastri is a rookie, and I'm going to be quite forgiving of people as rookies at the end of the day. For how long? How long are you going to give him? They're learning. Next season... How long are you going to give oh, him? Oh, next season. Yeah. Next season, gloves are off. Next oh, season, okay. you're in year okay. two. Whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. care. But if you're a rookie, I will give you the kindness oh, okay. of learning with a little bit of grace. But after that, you keep making those mistakes. And yeah. Strong you millennial go on lists energy, after that. isn't it? Look at that. Strong millennial energy with their Netflix and their internet <laughs> and their internet's Matt. All right, okay. I the... don't know what Netflix is. <laughs> newfangled streaming services. I don't get it. That's what you sound like. If <laughs> if you want to say you give them a full season, that's fine. I think Matt, you and I have always gone. Let's judge rookies after the summer break. That's the kind of thing we've generally gone on. And even in moving the... teams and changing engines, we've said that. In the old, so let's be clear. In the old days, you had unlimited testing. If you look at Lewis Hamilton's rookie season, you can't compare it to a modern rookie season because he drove tens of thousands of kilometers in a current car before he ever hit the track. And having done that, yeah, he did kind of spank a current world champion. But I, I digress a little bit. I think for me in modern Formula One, a rookie who shows up with some kind of promise gets two seasons and then and then they've either delivered or it's time to move on 
I think that's okay. I think that's fair under with this regulation set. So two seasons. That's times. interesting because that is that's about what eight times more than Helmut Marco gives a, a driver generally. So that's yeah. very very generous. Yeah, Chris, last one. Wants to drive for Red yeah. Bull, so you know. <laughs> Trumpets. Ooh. You have oh, said Chris. on this very show to me. We have received several times. No, I've not. We have to wait. 10 years for a rookie to be any good because they Two don't seasons. get any they don't get anything anymore Two seasons. right i think so, i've been fairly clear about you, two seasons you said to me oh, i can't right. call logan Sargent the worst driver on the grid because he's still a rookie right now you're going to sit here and say that piastri doesn't get the same sort of treatment i has said two seasons and i stand by it for any rookie what i am saying is i don't see yet any signs of improvement in his ability to manage tires Fair enough. Okay, so I want to get to Russell versus Hamilton. Uh, But firstly, it's time for just a bit of a personal advert for me. And I am talking to quite a specific target audience here. So please forgive me. I'm going to take 60 seconds of your time to talk to UK people who are looking for a premium hosted karting event for networking events or work socials. And if that's not you, you can press the skip forward button two times on your podcast app uh, maybe three times and i promise it will be over but i want to invite you to be the hero that gets your colleagues out of the office and onto the cart track and yes you could just go down to your local office and your local cart track and just just book a few seats in a cart track watch your safety video and bimble around the track or you could let mr apex bring your corporate karting day to life with a live race commentator perhaps and also with a warm and lovable MC throughout the day at a kart track near you. Mist Apex will arrange a dynamic sprint race format bespoke to your group that cultivates a fun spirit of, co- of, of competition that we call Race Driver Karaoke. It's an immersive day where you will feel like a driver battling for the win over a course of heats culminating in a grand final. Because after all, karting is all about having fun, but it's more fun if you win. So if you want the optional extra, we can provide driver coaches and a we can film a professional video of your day as well. And we can sort out post-race food and drinks. So once we agree on a venue and a date, you won't have to worry about anything except your own lap time and getting that stubborn client to finally sign a contract when he's giddy on the thrill of go-karting. So the, I have to be clear, this isn't aimed at like Timmy's birthday party or a stag do. It is a a premium event we're very much pitching this for business event management but if you want to let mist apex help you do this because on a go-kart day the carts do most of the work but mist apex could help you with the rest so if you're looking to host a networking event or you've forgotten to book your christmas company do then contact us via www.mistapexpodcast.com forward slash karting or email me spanners at spannersready at gmail.com Not bad for two in the morning. Okay, Hamilton versus Russell is looking a little bit sketchy for Russell, Chris. You go, are you going to be the one who's going to be all positive about Russell again? You're going no, to defend no, no. Russell. I, I mean, you, I mean, Hamilton versus Russell. I mean, was mm. it even was it even a fight? No, but this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> it, it isn't a fight, and it's starting to look a little bit like the same as Piastri, really. In that, anytime there's any tire management involved, uh, Russell is is not doing well. 
yes, again, he's got a little bit of qualifying form. But at the moment, over the course of this season and the back end of last season, I mean, he's not doing any better than Bottas. The only thing he's got in his favour is he's more aggressive on track. But really, the pace difference is around the same. The points difference is around the same. Is it much of an upgrade? He's better at bothering Lewis. Oh, yeah, he's much more uh, aggressive. <laughs> than, than Bottas was, that's for sure. Um, especially in qualifying, um, when the team don't organise their drivers correctly. But uh, I, I would say the for, for, for me, it's, it's more of a, like a, a racecraft thing because, you see, Lewis is so good at racecraft. It's always been one of his biggest um, strengths. And he's able to, in a race like this, get past and get himself into that clean air and then run his race from there. Whereas whereas George spent pretty much the entire race staring down the back of someone, which was always going to snowball into having a hot car, overheating the tyres, wearing the tyres a bit too much. So for me, it's, it's more about um, that lack of ability to clear the traffic in front. And it's it's not like he's untalented at that sort of thing, but... Lewis has that extra, you know, few percent where on a track like this, where it's really hard to overtake, mm. it can make the difference. And that will just turn your race around. Well, I mean, to me, this is classic because did we not hear that message from McLaren to Lando? You know, Russell, there's a hundred percent or nothing. That was, that was really interesting to go. Well, that's what the other teams think of him. And he's the same with his, his own teammate. So that, the question is, Christina, does that mentality, is that in his favour or is that holding him back? It's 100% holding him back. The big problem I see with Russell is twofold. For one, Mercedes didn't plan on having him and Lewis as teammates for a long time. No, I think you're right. 100% believe that yeah. they were anticipating that Lewis was going to retire and not be around this long, which is why they brought Russell up, because he was their young gung-ho talent that they were going to swoop in and have become a first driver. So for one, this is a dynamic that they probably weren't planning on having to manage. And two, Russell seems to have this mentality shift where he now considers himself not to be a rookie, not to be a second driver, not to be an up-and-comer, but to have arrived. And that he is a Lewis teammate and that he can be competitive with Lewis. But that is not the truth. Lewis is one of the greatest drivers of all time. And the fact that Russell, instead of taking that step back and going, I can learn more and more and Mm. more still from Lewis. Instead, he's getting bogged down in this like a really grubby headspace that a lot of Lewis's teammates go through. Let's not deny that. A lot of people have thought, oh, I could be competitive with Lewis. And then they just get dragged down by it. But he has seen that happen to other people, and yet he's still making that mistake. He's making the mistake of not taking advantage of learning from Lewis, which, you know, we'll see how, how open Lewis would be to teaching him as well. But <laughs> probably not at still, all. <laughs> Russell's head game, yeah. Wouldn't it be weird? A significant if, problem. Wouldn't it be weird, though, if Russell would just capitulated like that? Wouldn't people complain that he then wasn't pushing? Oh, 100%. Yeah. But I'm not talking about capitulating. I'm talking about keeping the head... Like, keeping the mentality open that there is still something to learn from Lewis. Still be competitive with him. Still try and bring it to him as best you can. But don't delude yourself to thinking that you are at the same level as Lewis and that there isn't something you can learn from him. Every single driver on that grid should know that there is something that they can learn from Lewis. The hilarious thing, talking about how long Lewis and George are going to be teammates for, because I think we're anticipating Lewis Hamilton is about to enter his last uh, contract 
which goes up in 25. Um, and no. then the likelihood <laughs> is that Mercedes will bring in the, this young gun, Kimi Antonelli. Yeah. That they've just promoted well, to F2. And I think, I think Russell's going to be in the same situation where he's well, got a really good teammate that he's going to struggle against. Okay. So look, it's, it's been a bad season, but if, if, if as I say that Ham- Russell is really at the same kind of level of, as a Bottas was at, then look at where Mercedes would be if Russell was the lead driver now. And they brought in a rookie who didn't immediately come in. So is it Antonelli? Is he Finnish? Uh, no, he's pass. Italian. Oh, is he Italian? Italian. Yeah, yeah uh, to yeah, be honest, yeah, yeah. it did sound like more is of an it, Italian Which it, uh, yeah. means kind of probably it's never going to work. But okay. <laughs> right, so uh, <laughs> when was the last time we had a really great Italian driver? Yano yeah, Trulli. Yeah. But they're due. Uh, I would say they only. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, they're due. Well, yeah, they're due. But if, if well, I've, I've commentated on his son, oh, there you go, racing. Yeah. If Russell, who is in P eight in the championship at the moment, seventy odd points behind Lewis Hamilton, if that was their number one driver with a rookie coming in, now Mercedes wouldn't it wouldn't be looking at P two in the championship. They'd be a long way off Ferrari, and it would look like a much worse car. And and that's that's really significant. Um, so unless you think they're nerfing Russell's car, Matt, I think if if you're Mercedes now, do you look forward and go Russell is the is the future? You obviously okay. wouldn't jump to a big. Con- you're going to wait for 2024, but at the moment it doesn't look good. If I was Mercedes, I wouldn't necessarily be concerned just yet. I think that Russell, as, as much as I appreciate Botas and everything he brings to the grid. As much as I appreciate him, I think Russell is really a better racer, wheel to wheel, although I've had my criticisms of him. And this is where I have to disappoint you, Spanners, because I'm going to say fundamentally the same problem that Piastri has is the same problem that Russell has. When you compare him to Lewis, the biggest single differential is tire management. And it's not huge margins. We're not talking about like Lewis is a thousand times better at managing the tires. He's like, you know, a half a percent, a lap better at managing the tires. But when you do a race that's 71 laps long, that kind of thing really adds up. And if I'm Mercedes, my only concern is that Russell doesn't figure that out Mm. before Hamilton decides to retire. So... I, I I keep looking at the the lap times. Obviously, like today, we were really watching Hamilton's lap times because we wondered if he was yeah. going to get caught by the Ferraris. And my the goodness, clerk, and then you know, oh, like, my goodness, was Stafford. he consistent? Yeah, oh, was, was he consistent? My goodness, it was. Yeah. It was like twenty two seven, twenty two seven, twenty two seven, um, maybe the odd lap in the twenty threes, and then he still had enough in the bag for that final lap. He was definitely Fast controlling lap. that. Yeah. If the Ferraris had made inroads, because Leclerc could do the odd twenty two, but then. Was, was falling back. If, if Leclerc had started making inroads, Wrong Hamilton... Wrong tires. Thank you, Ferrari. Yeah, Hamilton definitely had, you know, a little bit more in, in reserve. So but I keep only looking at the difference in Hamilton and Russell's lap time sort of mid-stint. What I'd be curious to see is, are they closer together at the start of the stint and then that changes, you know, as the tire wear, you know, develops? And I don't know if you've looked at that. I, I, there's no, there Something wasn't really for. time for me yeah, to go yeah. back and yeah. look at that. Uh, the other issue, the other thing, if anybody wants to go look at that, you can go look at that and you just go hit replay and look at your timing screens. It's pretty easy to keep track of. But what you also want is a track map 
and an idea of what kind of traffic the person was in. Because running laps in free air, fundamentally mm, compared sure. to running laps in traffic, is apples and oranges. And that is then cumulative. So once you've had your yes. laps in free air, that's already damaged you through the stint. So perhaps we can't compare that. But I think there is enough evidence to say, you know, the race pace isn't as strong. From, Over the whole mm, season, yeah. it's pretty clear that Russell can be faster in qualifying. But when it comes to race pace, Hamilton still has the edge, and he mainly has that edge because he's better at managing the tires. And and it's not a skill you can't learn. It's just a question of how long will it take you? And that's why Russell wasn't on the podium, but Hamilton was. And we reached the podium of Missed Apex Podcast's Mexican Grand Prix race review and poor little Christopher, you've been a right trooper today. I can see you there slapping <laughs> your cheeks together and going, come on, Chris, wake up. You can do this. It's been a yawny, yawny episode for me. It is 20 to 2 a.m. here, I will say. But even the, oh, even the, even the Americans are not as you know sprightly as normal, because normally this is a, a lunchtime endeavor for them. And now this is getting into the evening. They've got half an eye on their, their mobile telephones as uh, people are ringing them up to go to the nightclub and to the soirees that, that they are so accustomed to in on America. On a Sunday? I don't know. I don't know how America works at all. So we'll it's start... glamorous and fabulous, and aren't you sad that you're not here? I am sad. I'm good. I, I'm good. Need to, I need to visit New York. So, Christopher, uh, hey. you've been doing commentary stuff. It's going well. You are, yeah. You're turning into, and your hair is very Johnny Bravo today. I like it. You, um, <laughs> you're looking fitter around your face. I can see Thank your you. cheekbones again. That's all good. Yeah, you're, I've you're, lost uh, eight kilos, I think, since the last time nice. I was on the show in uh, Qatar. I think we did. You are camera ready. Tell people where to follow you and uh, get hold of your stuff and see your things. Cool. Yeah. So I've just finished my first season of uh, international uh, commentary, but I've got uh, other bits and bobs coming up throughout the sort of off season, the winter. Uh, so you can follow me at Chris on racing on uh, Twitter or X or mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. Uh, TikTok and Instagram. Um, cool stuff on there. I think I'm doing. I think it's cool. Now, I've been commentating longer than you, but I only did it for a couple of years and then I gave up because I wasn't very good at commentary. But a little bit of advice, <laughs> I would say if you're going to go to the in-car microphone of a driver, just let them know beforehand that you're going to throw to them. <laughs> And yeah, you can yeah. see what happens when you don't do that on Chris's TikTok. So search Chris on Racing on TikTok, uh, where you posted a very fun bloopers reel. Now, I'm allowed to advertise that. That was fine. You you shared no, no, those no, bloopers was, on it was, purpose. It was hilarious. I, I had a good uh, <laughs> laugh with the guy about it afterwards. Okay, Chris, before you fall asleep, what is your thing? Oh, hang on. I have to do this. What is your thing of the weekend? <laughs> Well, I'm going to say this just to spite you, uh, oh, Spanners, no. but it's going to be Lando Norris. <laughs> okay, no, it's fine. Because I don't, of the weekend. This is thing of the weekend now. Don't care. Officially. Not don't thing care. of the day. Because, well, it look, was... if you got to see a driver you like do lots of fun things, then I'm not going to take that away from you. He made me feel things and jump up in my chair and go, wow, look at that. So, <laughs> fair enough. It's good enough for me. All right, Lando. I hate to agree with Chris, but it was a pretty interesting drive yeah. today from no, Norris. That, that's true. It was a fun thing. The only thing I was arguing about was whether he maximised the, the weekend yeah, available to him. No, of course he didn't. I was never denying that, but who cares? 
So, uh, Christina, who is a part-time Mountie in uh, Canada, presumably. I think you all have to take a, a turn at Mountieing. So uh, you are doing a lot of interesting things. You hosted like a super interesting panel in Kota. There was Otmar Schaffnauer, you know, some influencers, and you sat there being a heavyweight in a panel like that. What's going on? I don't know. <laughs> what were you like? You were like a turtle on a fence post. Who put me here? Quite frankly, that's kind of how it felt like. Oh. I was just sitting there with like, people i admire around me and just having mm. everybody stare at me and caring about my opinion yeah it was a very strange out-of-body feeling and i just kept trying to stay calm and it turned out okay i like it you are definitely going places christina lee mace where can we follow you on stuff on tiktok i'm christina.fastcars and everywhere else i'm christina lee mace but tiktok's like your your main thing where you say things the main thing where I say things mm. is on TikTok. There we Christina. go. Christina.fastcars. That's the millennials. They like the TikToks because it's only like five seconds at a time. It's, so uh, can, I, can I just say? It's only 120 it's, calories a serving. It's not <laughs> doing this classic thing where all young people are millennials. You know millennials are like in their 40s now, right? No, that, that, is just, that isn't true. It can, it can, Anyone yeah. younger than us is a millennial, right? So Spanners? a lot of, of middle-aged people tried to move the needle of what millennial meant to make themselves feel young. <laughs> that was never, the when it first started that term, it never included people who were born in the early 80s at all. Uh, but uh, Christina, you are, I'm, I don't want to age you. You could be Gen Z. I'm going to assume you're Gen Z. So for you, who was your thing of the weekend? Is it bad if I just want to say tacos? Oh, no, no, not at all. Like, you are in good company if you want to... Like, most of my you analogies... Most of my analogies pass. in motorsport are taco-based. I had tacos two days ago, and it was great. Yeah, it's just... They keep posting about them this weekend, and then <laughs> yeah. I kept eating them and eating them, yeah. and it was a good time. So, shout-out to tacos. And I will say, for an actual driving thing, Daniel Ricardo, he brought me joy. <laughs> okay. Seeing him happy... Made me happy, so he has got props to him. The, look, it's an entertainment business, and he's got one of the most infectious smiles and senses of humor out there. And he has branded himself so well that his raw statistics are are boosted by how marketable he is. And that's like that's good. That's good. That's good times. So like, you have to be a personality as well now, um, and you can't just be. I don't think you can be Kimi Räikkönen any, anymore and just shrug people off and not get involved in interviews i mean look at the reaction to lance stroll's recent interviews people are not enjoying interactions with him and if they could vote i don't think lance stroll would win a vote as to whether he should be in f1 because he's grumpy whereas ricardo isn't all right good matt trumpets do you want to advertise anything you plugging anything right now not yet I will have a thing to plug in the not too distant future, I believe. But Fine. At the moment, case, just follow me. I, I will just go with the uh, no comment. Come follow me on. Oh, you know what? I could plug. I could plug our friend Doctor Holding, who does a science thing. How about that, Doctor Andrew That's Holding? A- What's his Twitter, Doctor Andrew Holding? Oh gosh, I'm gonna have to go look at Twitter right. now. So I would say, say, say something s- like that. Search for a- Andrew Holding. Yeah, the, all of these links are in the show notes below. He's a great scientist, and he did a long thread about the statistical analysis of randomness when it came to FIA scrutineering to give people just a little bit of an insight into you know statistics and looking at things and deciding whether they're random or not. However, 
don't just search for Andrew Holding on the internet because it's because you just get pictures. Turns of pe- out there's more than one of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, no, no, but you get pictures of people called Andrew Holding Fish. And that's what that is what comes up most in that in that search is brilliant. Um, so for you, Matt, who you can follow at MattPT55 on Twitter yes. primarily, what was your thing of the weekend? This is actually really hard for me. There are so many interesting things that happened this weekend. Does that mean you didn't prepare one and you don't know? No. Do you want some more thinking time? Do you want me to stall? No, I don't need any more thinking time. I just need to to make sure no one else has said Daniel Ricardo's <laughs> performance today. She just said it, Christine. She just, just said, said it. That? She okay. just said right, it. Good. I wanted me... to make sure someone covered that. Do you want me to talk about more biologists with interesting no, no, names? No, no. I, I don't need you to talk about more <laughs> biologists because the race itself was fascinating enough. Look at this. I think stalling. for me, today's today's <laughs> performance yeah. was really all about the battle between Hamilton and Leclerc on the restart. I think that to me, I have rarely seen the track at Mexico be interesting, but that was about the yeah, most it interesting was. I've ever Definitely. seen. It. Definitely. Yeah. And, I, you know, obviously a well-timed red flag helps that a little bit. And I think at some point we should have a detailed chat of what constitutes weaving because Leclerc took about seven different changes of direction down that straight. And I'm, I'm just, I'm so sure you're not allowed to do that, but it just never came up. Uh, well, I mean, the problem you run into is there, there you can change directions mm. as often as you like. Really? Until it becomes a defensive maneuver. And then you're only allowed one, but you can return to the racing line. So is, is trying to break the toe counted as a defensive maneuver? No. No. No, I don't believe it is. So you can just snake down the straight. I didn't know that was the rule, that you can just snake all the way down the straight. Uh, this is my interpretation of right. what I remember the rule to be at mm. stupid o'clock at night, Spanner. <laughs> so let's throw some caveats in there. Uh, but I yes. concur with your interpretation there. Trumpets. Of Matt's. All right. Well, to me, I'm... I'm I, th- again, this is a good midweek topic. What are you allowed to do? to defend is actually a great topic for us to address in a, a midweek show where maybe we'll get Brad and Alex and Kyle on people who, you know, have done racing and Race. stuff. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to give my thing of the weekend then to uh, Lewis Hamilton. Fingers crossed. There's no stewarding decision that's about to drop late at night. But uh, to me, like P2 on track twice in a row, you know, in a championship, in a season where, you know, they're fighting in a, in a mini non Verstappen championship He's taken two non-Verstappen wins in a row and it's looking positive. So the car feels good. They were able to develop it over the course of the weekend because it wasn't looking good on Friday and they weren't happy. And he wasn't happy on Saturday. He left a little bit of time on the track on uh, uh, on the qualifying in Q3 and Ferrari had an absolute blinder. So it could have been even more comfortable, but I know it's Chris disagreeing with me there. I think... Mercedes kind of look like they've got a bit of swagger back. Hamilton looks like he's got some swagger back. And he was genuinely hyped up and so happy post-race. I wasn't even listening to what you said. I I smiled at you and you just assumed I was disagreeing with you. Yeah, because you've you've jaded me. You've been such a grouchy grumpo today. (laughs) This relationship has gone stale. (laughs) No, yeah, you know, that's true. I have been. I have been. And I'm glad we've had... Christina and uh, Chris on to be positive because me and Matt have been grumpy old men. I accept that. So let's now be all be grumpy and do the bad thing 
which is called the Missed Apex oh, Award. Oh, no, you missed the Apex. All right, here we go. This is the last thing, guys. We get to be super grumpy armchair fans talking out of our office chairs. All right, let's go with Christina. Christina, who missed the Apex for you? The flipping pit lane exit fiasco. That was qualifying. Oh, we didn't even get to that, did like, we? <laughs> I'm sorry. How do they not how do they not seeing that as being a problem? That would come up when they were like, ah oh, no, we don't want them bunching up in sector three. It's like, well, they're gonna find somewhere to bunch up. How is this not a problem that they could see coming a mile away? Who's writing these regulations? Half the time, I feel like I'm looking at a grade 12 group project that was slapped together the night before and not edited. Put that thing together half the time. Pit lane, naughty. Generous. Stopping in the pit lane, naughtier. <laughs> Saving that rant for TikTok. But the FIA <laughs> basically said at Singapore, no, that's bad. You mustn't do that. No, 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 they, 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 no, they said it's sort of fine. They let him off, didn't they? And then at Kota, they said, oh, we shouldn't have let him off. That was bad. And then they did it again. So they went, oh, actually. They basically said, well, yeah. everybody did it, so I guess it's okay. Well, yeah, I well, mean, they... it is the saddest capitulation to stupidity Ooh. that <laughs> I have seen in a long time in FIA decisions. Yeah, you're both off on one. And look, no one is suggesting that the drivers are particularly doing anything wrong. I, I believe that FIA statement that the drivers were, were acting in, in good faith. But both Verstappen and Russell were doing this. They were both... And Alonso. And Alonso, yeah. Them, yeah, they, they yeah. both... Yeah. So, so Alonso and Russell And Gasly, too, who didn't even get called up. But sure, yeah, 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 yeah. go ahead. Anti-Gasly propaganda. Okay, so... No, no, it just... Russell, he did. Russell and, uh, and Alonso stopped, um, but uh, Verstappen did more of a rolling roadblock. For, for like a good 30 seconds, he did rolling roadblock. You can see yeah, him looking in yeah, the mirrors yeah, and everything. Yeah, I timed it. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it was, was, it was, it was close seconds, to yeah. 30 seconds. It was 30 seconds, yeah. Um, I also did that. To, yeah. So... That what they're doing is they want to get the track position, but then they also want the gap. So what they don't yeah. want to do is roll out of the garage and then just and then just accept wherever they come out. Because as they're coming out of the garage, someone else could be coming out of the garage and then they don't know where they are in the, the traffic. And so instead yeah. of saying tough luck, they then try to build a gap. And they used to do that in sector three. That's too dangerous. So now they do it in the pit lane, but you weren't allowed to do that. Um, so they said they're definitely going to stamp down on it, but now they're saying, oh, no, that actually probably makes sense now, actually, so it's fine. But it does seem a little indecisive. Well, it's madness, because everyone is... Uh, so, first of all, the rule is can't stop in the pit lane. The rule is you have a maximum time to get to your push lap. Those aren't contradictory. The problem is the teams want gaps. And the problem is they want gaps that are sometimes seven or eight seconds long. Yeah. And if somehow the stewards accepted yeah. the fact that we would like to have this huge gap so we can run the perfect qualifying lap <laughs> as equal to two actual rules that have already been enunciated by this by the regulatory body. Mm. It's insane. You know, if, if you break the rules, you get a penalty. If they penalized everyone today, I guarantee you they just put drivers out on track earlier to avoid mm. the problem next time. That's problem number one. Problem number two oh, is this acceptance <laughs> that it's safer to do this in the pit lane. Well, yeah, it's slower. But in the pit lane, you also have a whole bunch of human beings that aren't in cars. And if you have some kind of an accident in the pit lane, and let's... Be reminded, the reason we have a pit lane speed limit at all is because a wheel came off Mark Webber's car and hit a cameraman in the head. 
if you have some kind of an accident in the pit lane because someone has decided to go 0.1 miles an hour out of the pit exit, well, there's a whole bunch of mechanics and engineers and team principals standing around that could potentially be quite injured by this. Okay, so I don't even buy the justification that it's safer in the pit lane. Quite honestly, it's shocking to me that this that this has been put forward as any kind of a rationale whatsoever for this. See, and yeah, it does need to change and it does need to be solved. Lee Mace, what did you do? You put a 50p in the trumpets and he's gone. He's gone off on one. My goodness, you've got <laughs> you have got to rant more responsibly than that. Okay, so we've had Christina's uh, missed apex award. Chris, who missed the apex for you? Oh, well, there is, uh, of course, the realisation that uh, when Perez retires, no one will turn up to the Mexico Grand Prix and it will not, uh, probably will not run uh, past its current contract of 2025 because Perez will have lost his seat by then. Um, But for me... This is sarcasm, right? The Mexican fans are fantastic and they supported all the drivers even after Perez was out. Yeah. Um, did. But no, for for me, um, I'm going to give it to Armand Jeansy for trying to blame Valtteri Bottas for his, his contact with Lance Stroll, which was 100% Stroll's fault. Just for drifting out and hitting him. And Bottas was on the track when that contact happened, right? Yeah, but it well, was they, his they, fault they both he was were. on the track. Oh, okay. Yeah, they both were, but Stroll just... <laughs> completely swipes across the front of Bottas's We don't have time for another whose fault is it? Matt Trump is... No, we don't need it. I've I've done it. There you go. I've done it for you. Okay, Matt, who missed the apex for you? Well, there can be only one. And in this case, the one has to be Aston Martin because, oh my my goodness, what the... What the flipping my chips heck has happened to that team? (laughs) Just like, it was disaster for alonzo it was disaster for stroll it was disaster for stroll it was disaster for alonzo alonzo made his oh i'm in the last part of the i'm last in the race so my car has stopped working where is my lawn chair retirement today no one and then lance went on a tear of just hitting everything he could possibly see so he didn't have to finish the race either it's sergeant bottas yeah uh christina i saw agreement there it was just tragic to watch. Like, at least they look pretty while being tragic, though. Okay, there's it's that. colored fair, car. Fair, you do have a point. It is a pretty <laughs> like... car. It's just, it's really sad, isn't it? Because they needn't have bothered turning up today because you wouldn't have known they were even in the race. And it's so sad, bearing in mind Alonso was leading in Jeddah in the second race, in the early stages of that, that race. Mm. And now they're just, they're gone. They, they are nothing. No. Okay. I don't have a thing, a bad thing award because it's getting late. And all I want you to do is to follow my panel, follow Christina Lee Mace, Chris Stevens, and Matt Do Rumpet by clicking all the links in the show notes below. And do follow me. Uh, I'm the best one. Follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter. But, but be nice. It's been quite a week. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.